Good morning. It's great to see everybody today. We're so thankful that you're here. You know, a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Mark was talking about uh, standing and sitting during the, uh, during the song. And it reminded me of a story, something that happened when I had just gotten out of college. I was, I was living in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was going to church at the Homewood Church of Christ uh, where Wayne Kilpatrick was the preacher. And uh, that was in their old building, which I think now is the Homewood Library. But it was kind of a building where the seats, it was kind of a straight shot back. Now their building is kind of like ours, it's like a semicircle. But it was a Sunday night, and Wayne got up to preach. And um, always, I mean, it's, it's gotten to be a tradition. The song before the sermon, the song leader always said, all right, let's stand. And so we'd stand for that song. And Wayne would get up to preach. Well, for some reason, this time, the song leader did not ask us to stand. Well, Wayne was right in the middle, front row. Everybody else was behind him. And when he got up to preach, he stood up, and nobody else did. And if you know Wayne at all, he's a little bit flamboyant. He started primping. He was tucking in everything, and he was checking his hair, making sure it's right, getting that tie straight, making sure that fly was zipped up. He was doing all of that. And when we got to the end of the first verse, the song leader said, you may be seated. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that. That was so funny. Uh, if you've ever been in one of my classes, uh, you know that my tangents have tangents. So I'm going to try to stick to the script today, okay? Number one, so that we can end on time. And number two, that I can get my point across. But today we're going to be spending some time in Ephesians, and we're going to be talking about God's family and, and just what a, what a beautiful thing that that is. Let's see if I can get organized up here. Almost exactly 18 years ago, we started visiting Fourth Avenue. Um, we had spent the previous 11 years worshiping at the West End Congregation in Nashville, but we'd moved down here to Franklin, you know, Williamson County Schools and all. Uh, as our kids got school age, and uh, we were 25 miles away from West End. But we continued to drive our, uh, up there and go to church, and our kids were small. They were falling asleep, you know, on the way to church and that sort of thing. We'd been hearing great things about Fourth Avenue. Um, we were at our community pool one time and, and, uh, during this period, and Tim Miller just started talking about all the great things that were happening here at Fourth. And then uh, one time we were visiting, Mike Webb and Mike and Jenny had gone to church with us at West End. He said something to me that was really profound. He said, the elders at 4th Avenue, um, they don't want to hang on to the traditions of men at the sake of people not hearing about Jesus. And that just, that just touched me. It really told me what the heart was here. So we continued to visit, and uh, those great things that we've been hearing were confirmed. We were always warmly greeted. People remembered our names. And before long, we placed uh, membership here at Fourth. We became a member of the, the members of the family at Fourth. And that was in October of 2003. Um, and y'all, it's always felt like family here. Uh, I've said it a lot of times that it really never felt like we had moved to Franklin 
until we joined the church here at Fourth Avenue. Uh, we started seeing our brothers and sisters uh, everywhere we went. We, we were, when we were walking downtown, we would see somebody we knew um, at Kroger in the produce section. You run into somebody. When John was playing ball over at Jim Warren Field, he would have other kids from church either on his team or we would see them at the ballpark. It was just crazy how all of a sudden when we joined Fourth Avenue, we, we had moved to Franklin instead of hitting the interstate and going to, to Nashville all the time. Um, before Brant, Bell, and I were, were shepherds together, we were Boy Scout Tiger Club uh, leaders together at Oakview Middle School. And uh, I don't know if that's a training ground or not, but we did it. Uh, at first, our, our church family was kind of like acquaintances, and that grew into friendships. And then we started really feeling like family. Um, and y'all have always acted like family toward us, too. You've helped us through a lot of the ups and downs that come in life. Um, and we've had several. Uh, over the years, um, surgeries, serious illnesses, uh, raising kids, spiritual guidance we've gotten right here. All three of our children confessed Christ and were baptized right there. I mean, it, it, it has just been family to us. Our most recent trial came a little over a month ago. Uh, most of you all know that my mother passed away on July 14th. She had been bedridden for a long time, and we had, been, we had mourned for a long time, about two years she had Lewy body dementia, and she was at the point where she just couldn't walk or talk or recognize anyone, and really the last year and a half of her life, she had no quality of life, and so it, during that time, y'all were praying for her, y'all were asking us, you know, what could we do, and really there wasn't a whole lot to be done except for prayer. Um, it got to the point that we were calling on God to take her home, and finally he did, and so that she could just enjoy the peace and comfort that, that she wasn't having here on this earth. And really, it was a beautiful thing when that day came. The outpouring of love um, that we received from our relatives here at Fourth Avenue, uh, and not just here, but where my dad and my sister go to church as well, it was overwhelming. Cards, letters, texts, food, offers to help uh, bear our burdens. It was touching and beautiful the way that you all took care of us. Um, my dad goes to Woodmont Hills. They hosted uh, her services, uh, they, her visitation. They had a meal for us. They had a full AV team there, you know, doing the recording, the whole shooting match. Um, same at Otter Creek where my sister goes. Her, her, her friends and family there just took so, good, so much good care of her. And, and the same here at Fourth Avenue. Keith Holloway took time off from work on a Tuesday at noon and came and led the singing at my mom's funeral. It was, it was just a really, really sweet thing for him to do. Um, when you think about the word family, you know, your tendency is just think about your blood relatives. Um, if you're like me, both good and bad thoughts uh, come to mind. In my family, we've got people who are salt of the earth. You want to be around them. You hope you see them all the time. And then we got a few black sheep. And you hope that they don't show up when it's time for the family reunion. 
We've got highly successful business folks. And then we've got family members that struggle to make ends meet from week to week. I have cousins who work in the jail ministry. I have cousins who are in jail currently. We've got relatives uh, that are teetotalers and relatives that are downright drunks. Um, I've got relatives I've had to forgive, and I've got relatives that I've had to ask forgiveness from. Relatives that are faithful followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to the point that they've spent years in the mission field and even smuggled Bibles into communist countries. And those who are not against you believing in God, it's just not for them. May not be quite atheist, but they're certainly agnostic. Just not quite sure that God does or does not exist and that we can even know him if he does. Just like our blood relatives, our church families are made up of all kinds of different people. Uh, like the people in my family that I've just described. But the neat thing about God's family is he doesn't look at his family the same way that I look at my family. He doesn't describe his family the, the way that I just described mine. I look at my family through human eyes. God looks at his family through the lens of Jesus. He doesn't see popularity, levels of success, law abiders, law breakers, or people who struggle to do what's right. He doesn't see lost sinners. He sees people who've been forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul gives us insight into how God sees us in his letter to the Ephesians. And we're going to look at parts of uh, the first three chapters uh, of Ephesians in just a second. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his will, uh, with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in, in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all in heaven and on earth under Christ. Being in God's family means that we receive every spiritual blessing that comes from heaven. Blessings that are ours because we belong to Christ and are chosen, adopted children by God, brothers and sisters of Jesus, Heirs of God with all the rights enjoyed by his children. And we get that as family members all because of what Jesus has done for us. We enjoy graciousness and freedom from sin because Jesus 
paid the high price for us. He bled and died because we're sinners. Not we were sinners. We are sinners. Present tense. Don't kid yourself. No matter how hard we try, we all sin. God's gracious plan for his children was set in motion from the beginning. He knew when he gave us uh, he knew when he gave us the freedom to make our own choices that we would choose poorly. Our desires would be selfish. We'd come up short. It's hard to understand, but as verse 9 that I just read describes it, it's a mystery. It's a mystery how the creator of the world could love us, his imperfect children, so much that he would send his perfect child to die on our behalf. That's just hard to understand. And what God and what does God require of us? Look at verses 11 through 14 of chapter 1. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing us our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. What does God require of his children? It's not a lot. He wants us to believe in him, put our faith in him, let your hope be only in Christ and the saving grace that only he can provide. He wants us to belong to him, be part of the family, and live your life so that you bring praise to him. That's all he's asking for from us. These verses tell us that as God's child, you're stamped with a seal, marked by receiving the promised Holy Spirit. God says, you're one of ours. You're my heir. You'll receive my promises. What does the Holy Spirit do for us? Oh, so many wonderful things. Scripture tells us that he's a comforter for us. Tells us that he's a counselor for us. How does God's family act toward each other when they have the Holy Spirit? Well, the best example I can think of it is in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 in just a second, but I want to kind of set it up for us as we work our way toward the end of Acts 2. We'll do just a quick summary of the events in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1, Jesus is taken up to heaven, and two angels appear to the apostles. And they say, the way y'all saw him go, he is coming back someday. And then Acts 2 begins with the apostles all together in a house, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 3 says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different languages. Because it was Pentecost, all the God-fearing Jews from all the nations were in Jer Jerusalem at the time. 
And they came together and they formed this large crowd uh, when they heard the apostles speaking in these different languages. Um, you probably remember they accused them of being drunk. Um, Peter stood up at that point and he spoke. And he told them that the prophet Joel had said that this day was going to come. That God's spirit was going to be poured out on all the people. He told them Jesus, who was accredited by God through wonders and signs and miracles, which they all had witnessed, he told them that he was the son of God. He also reminded them that rather than accept the, him, the him as the son of God, they'd crucif crucified him by nailing him on the cross. Peter told them that God freed Jesus from death, raised him to life, that death couldn't hold him, that they had witnessed his resurrection. And finally, uh, in verse 36 of chapter 2, Peter said, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And what was their response? Well, they were cut to the heart. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? Peter's answer, we all know this one in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people that day believed the message, and they committed their lives to Jesus. They were baptized, they received the Holy Spirit, and they became the first family of God, God's family, uh, God's Christian family, followers of Christ. Now, that's the background. Now listen to these beautiful verses right there at the end of chapter 2 that tell us how these new people of God treated each other. Acts 2.42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a beautiful description of God's family of our family here at Forth. That's us, y'all. Um, we study about our Lord and Savior Jesus. We share our lives together. We eat together. We pray together. We're amazed at the way God works among us. We spend time together. We grow close. We share with each other. We give to those in need. We spend time in each other's homes. We, we're, we're glad and sincere with one another, and we praise God together. And God adds to our believers and to our fellowship. They become a part of the family at Forth too. Doesn't that describe the people at this church? I, I just couldn't think of a better verse that did it. It really describes us. Are we perfect? No. Are we God's family? Yes. 
Ephesians 2, the first 10 verses, spells out this new life of, in, in God's family for us. This pa- and I love the way this passage beautifully contrasts our former way of life when we lived for the world and for ourselves and our lives were characterized by, by uh, sinfulness. It, it contrasts that with our new life that only God can provide through his love and his mercy and his grace. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reality is, when you live for the world, for the spiritual forces of evil, you were hopeless. Working against God, dead in your sins, you weren't alone though. In fact, you were in the majority. We all have lived this way at some point followed our selfish, sinful desires and thoughts, we were controlled by our sin. But God, who's full of mercy and love so deeply, offered us a new life through Jesus. Even when we were dead in our sins, he offered us Jesus' saving grace. Keith, you deserve to die because you're sinful. You're rebellious. But you know what? I'm going to sacrifice Jesus instead of giving you what you deserve. Oh, and and after he dies for you, I'm going to raise him up. I'm going to defeat death so that one day you can defeat death too. So that you can live with him forever. That's how much I love you. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. That's all he's asking us. Put your faith in him as the only savior in this world. It's a free gift. You can't do anything to earn it. He's already paid the full price with his life. Now you belong where you were created to belong. You're in God's family. When you decide you want to belong, when you put your faith in Christ, he just wants us to bear witness with our faith by living like Jesus, modeling him. You won't be perfect at it. You'll fail plenty of times. But he gives us so many opportunities to do good, and that's all he asks of us is do good. Being a child of God doesn't mean that you're going to prosper, that you're never going to have trials, 
doesn't mean that. that those things are going to happen. But what it does mean is that God will always be there for us. And so will our Christian brothers and sisters, our family here at Forest. We don't have to go it alone anymore. Listen to what Paul says at the end of a section in this letter to the Ephesians, end of chapter 3, when he prays for them. Listen to this prayer. I'm looking at Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. And as I read this, look at the promises that God makes to his family. Listen closely because these are God's promises to us. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasseth knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's God's promises to you. A family name, his name. Matt, child of God. Kimberly, child of God. Carolina, child of God. Sam, child of God. He gives us a place to belong and be encouraged. He gives us strength through the Holy Spirit, not physical strength, but a deep, abiding spiritual strength that will carry you through the trials and the storms of this life. God has known all along that you're going to be tested. Personal failure, willful sin, misplaced desires, a lust for more, job loss, broken relationships, loneliness. But in all these things, you're bolstered by strength that can only come from the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence in your inner being. That strength it's beyond compare. The strength God promises is rooted and established in his love, which is powerful within God's family. Paul describes the love of Christ as wide and long and high and deep. Y'all, when, when I try to picture that in my mind, all I can think of is just something that's vast. And, and I think about being so far out in the ocean that you can't see land in any direction. Um, all you can see is water on every side. And in my mind, that water represents God's love. The overwhelming love of Christ. Nothing can defeat it, and you have it. Paul also describes uh, God's love as surpassing all knowledge. Now, let's think about that. All knowledge. Um, think of all the items in the Library of Congress of, uh, in the United States. Do you know that library has over 171 million items in the collection? 25 million catalog books, 
74 and a half million manuscripts, 5.6 million maps, 8.2 million items of sheet music. This is, this is really hard for me to believe. 838 miles of shelves and over 3,200 staff members, permanent staff members. If you could somehow take in all the knowledge found in all the items in the largest library in the United States, that wouldn't even be a drop in the bucket when it comes to knowledge. And surely not all knowledge. God's love surpasses it. Okay, okay, how about if we add the Admont Library in Admont, Austria, the George Peabody Library in Baltimore, Maryland, the National Library of China in Beijing, the Trinity College Library in Dublin, Ireland, the New York City Public Library, the National Library of the Czech Republic in Prague, and one more, I'm Southern, the Bibliothèque Saint Genevieve in Paris, France. That's a lot of knowledge. God's love surpasses it. I think what Paul's saying here is, is you cannot fathom how great God's love is for his children. It can't be understood. It's monumental. And we should take comfort in that. Finally, as we close, and, and uh, team, if you want to come back up here, I want you to look at these two more verses from chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Whatever you ask of God, he can do more. Whatever you can imagine that God can do, he can do more. Go ahead, let your imagination run wild. He can do more. Not just a little more. What does the verse say? Immeasurably more. That's the kind of father we have. That's the head of our family. He is so good and he loves you so much. Y'all, we want so desperately for you to experience the love of being in God's family. The comfort of knowing that we're here for you. We're here for each other. Will we mess up? Yeah, we'll mess up. Will we disappoint? Yeah. Will we sin? Yeah, will we let you down? We will. Those things happen in family, and it happens because we're all human. You're human, I'm human, and humans fail. But I'll assure you this, when life is the hardest, when the trials come that knock you to your knees, illness, brokenness, sin, when the hurt is deep, to God and God's family is where you need to turn. Go ahead, look around the room. All these folks, they'll put your arm around you, their arm around you. They'll encourage you. They'll bear that burden with you. Even when you don't think it's possible, 
you will make it through. God's family at fourth, filled with the Holy Spirit, strengthened by the immeasurable love of the Father, and saved by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ.